Well, it's great to be with you this evening. Thank you once again for the invitation to come and share God's word. I know it's been, actually, I look back at my calendar and sadly to say it's been two years since we've been here. I know it doesn't seem like that, but uh, uh, last uh, workers' conference, uh, Clay Berry came over and said, hey, when are you coming to California again? And so thankfully, uh, he said, give me a, a week or two that you're going to be in California and we'll take care of it. I said, okay, very well. And so uh, because of him, we we're able to uh, get some uh, dates arranged. And so we're really excited about being out here with you once again. Uh, Barbara and I are doing well. Some of you may be wondering how we've been. And uh, we are busy, of course. We still travel just as much as ever. Uh, again, with, like uh, previous, we've told you, 50, 60,000 miles a year traveling. Uh, for ministry, and we're here now in California for a week or so. We came from Colorado and uh, Nebraska, and then we're going to be over uh, here for a week or so. We're going to be up to Napa next Sunday, and then we're over to uh, Minnesota. We're at Short Story Book Lodge doing the uh, speaking at the family camp uh, for a week there, uh, then down to Texas for a week. And so it's sort of strange. I know the calendar all over the place, but that's the way it worked out, uh, trying to get things squeezed in. And so we appreciate your prayers for us as we continue to minister his word around the country. With that being said, uh, we uh, will go and look at God's word together. I know our time is brief. And if you have more questions about what we've been up to and where we're going and so on, feel free to touch base after our meeting. Uh, we want to look at, a, uh, in fact, oh, I should probably ask, uh, everyone, you all remember what we covered last time, right? Oh, praise the Lord. Okay. And, of course, that was the, in the book of Philippians, you remember. And uh, we looked at uh, Philippians 3.20. We're not going there today, though. But we did look at that, and we looked at our heavenly citizenship, didn't we? If, uh, those who, of course, were able to make it that time uh, two years ago. I think it was July of two years ago. And, uh, and so this issue of our citizenship and our journey, and we're, I, I always love looking at these things. And especially when we're only here occasionally, it's nice to be able to bring out a little thought uh, related to our journey and what we're doing. And so I thought we'd go back now to the Old Testament and look at uh, another example of this kind of thing uh, in the book of Joshua. And uh, now in the book of Joshua, I want to look at one word really, uh, but we're going to look at uh, how that word is used uh, in a number of places. So we're going to look at chapter 4 of Joshua. And we're going to start in chapter 4 and look at verse... 19. And we'll look at that one verse first and then go on from there. Chapter 4 of Joshua, verse 19. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth of the first month and encamped in Gilgal on the eastern extremity of Jericho. And so I'm going to look at this a little bit here, but really the key word I want to look at is the word Gilgal. Now, I realize that perhaps you've not studied that word. Maybe some of you have. Uh, others, no doubt, have many years ago. Perhaps uh, you had a message on such a, a, a city and what it means. And uh, hopefully you'll find this helpful as you look at your journey and where you're going uh, in this world. But Gilgal is an interesting place uh, in the scriptures. And here, of course, uh, just like our hymn, we just sang this hymn that talked about, he leads me, O blessed thought. This is the first hymn we sang. And it talks about him leading us, and uh, by his hand, of course. And the last verse talks about when my task on earth is done, when by grace the victory is won. Even death's cold wave I will not flee, since God, through Jordan, leads me. Now, I realize uh, that's using a, a metaphor kind of thing there. 
Uh, this idea of being led through Jordan. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be covering here a little bit. This idea of the journey of the Israelites is going to go, of course, over the Jordan. And what is going to happen uh, when they do that? Well, well, we'll take a look at that together. But this word Gilgal, when they come, um, they come across, and they're going to come across the uh, Jordan, and they're going to encamp in Gilgal. And the first few chapters gets into all the detail about the actual preparation to go and so on. And we'll see, of course, they do get over. Uh, but this is just saying um, what, that, what had happened, right? And it's reviewed a few ways here. And so in verse 19, the people came up out of the Jordan the 10th of the first month and encamped in Gilgal. And you remember the first... Uh, the tenth of the first month, of course, is the presentation of a lamb, isn't it, uh, for the Passover? That's the time. That's the date of that usually, and uh, this is when they come up out of the Jordan, the place of death, which is very interesting. But we're not going to focus on that. We want to focus on Gilgal, and Gilgal uh, means rolling away. For those who are interested, uh, uh, the idea of rolling gil is rolling, and they have rolling away and. Uh, rolling in various ways, like Gilead and other places like this. But Gilgal is a place which means rolling away. And they're going to come there, and we want to look at seven ways in which this city, this place, this camp, as it's called here, um, uh, is a, a place that they can come back to and learn something about what God does for them. And so our first one, obviously, as we read this, that Gilgal this place where we can come back, as it were, and be with uh, God and his people, uh, we might say, in a spiritual sense for us, but physically for them, uh, we might say is a camp, right? The first letter, uh, it's going to be letter C for each one, by the way, for those who are interested, uh, so that you'll be easily remember the seven of them, right? And so the first one, first letter C is camp. And uh, I was talking with Brother David here, and of course, you, you, many of you know about camps, don't you? <laughs> And you've uh, perhaps gone to a few of the camps, uh, Verdugo Pines, or perhaps uh, we have Horton Haven over in Tennessee. Perhaps you've been to Camp Horizon down in Florida, or uh, Lee Lilo up in New York, or wherever it might be. There's different places, camps all over the place, right? And they're marvelous, of course, do marvelous work. And, uh, and I think the brother mentioned uh, a lot of them are starting right now, right? Uh, a lot of uh, uh, teen camps and uh, children's camps and so on. And we've been involved with a few of those over the years. And it's a marvelous ministry. And, uh, but here they're going to come, and they're going to have a camp, a place they can come back to. I don't know if any of you were ever in scouting or something like that, but we always enjoyed it. I was in the Boy Scouts many years ago, and uh, I actually lived all summer in, in a tent. Right? Isn't that exciting? Um, and now you probably don't find that so exciting today if you're a little older. But uh, when we were kids, we just loved that, right? And I was a young guy, and I was, uh, that first summer at camp, I spent the whole summer at camp living in a tent for $50 this whole summer of work. Isn't that marvelous? And, uh, and so that's what we got for our income for the, it's still on my social security thing, 50 bucks and 19, whatever it was. <laughs> and uh, they even taxed me on it, right? <laughs> so, you know, so uh, $50, and so you, you see the issue of the camp, a place that the, the children, there's young people that come to time as a counselor, and they'd come to the camp and we'd have uh, usually one to 2,000 children a week at the camp. And uh, I was uh, uh, a counselor at one point, and I was the rifle range director and so on. And uh, when you talk about having 1,000 to 2,000 young children at one camp, uh, that's, a, that's a big challenge. 
Uh, it was a scout camp, and we had a good time with it. But they learned about the idea that they had to use tents for the whole week they were there, the summer they were there, whatever. And it became a place, though, that they always had a place to go back to, right? They could go off hiking or whatever, and they had a place to come back, didn't they? And so here we're going to see that Gilgal becomes a place, a camp, letter C, that they can come back to. And then, brethren, doesn't that give us a lesson that when we go out, business of the world, don't we, as it were, spiritually speaking, always have a place to come back to, don't we? A place to come, as it were, the spiritual table of the Lord, perhaps we might call it, a place that we can come back to and be refreshed and encourage one another and be around his word and, and pray together and have that hour of prayer we sang about and, and, and the like. And so in verse 19, then, we have the first letter C for Gilgal as the issue of the camp. Gilgal because a picture or a metaphor of a camp for us, a place we can come back to after we've been busy in our lives in the world. But now we come to verse 20 and see what we have here. And then we see, uh, and those 12 stones which they had taken of the Jordan did Joshua set up in Gilgal, and he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children hereafter ask their father, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, On dry land did Israel come over this Jordan, because Jehovah your God dried up the waters of the Jordan from before you, until he had passed over, as Jehovah your God did, to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us, until we had passed over, that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of Jehovah, that it is mighty, that he might, we might, he might fare Jehovah your God continually. And so now we come, and now we have something else at Gilgal. It's not just a camp, not just a place to come back to and have our tents there and so on and, and, get, and eat and be refreshed, but now it's a place where they've set something up. We might say some kind of memorial they've set up. Uh, I call, the, use the letter C in this case, commemoration, right? There's a commemorative. Gilgal becomes a place of commemoration. That's our second C. And so they have the opportunity here to remember what God has done. Don't we take time aside ourselves? And uh, after the business of a week, don't we come aside ourselves again together to remember, to commemorate what God has done? To think about how he's brought us perhaps through the week, perhaps. But also, of course, to remember what he's done for us, which we'll look a little bit more at when we talk about communion later, but we'll see here too. Uh, there's an opportunity to be in fellowship with him and his people. And so it's a marvelous study to look at Gilgal and see, oh, there's this marvelous peace. The issue is we have a place of commemoration as well. And that's in verses 20 through 24. So that gives us two then, a camp, uh, a place of camping, a place of commemoration. What will we have in number three? Well, we have to look at the chapter five Verse 1, right? And let's look there to see what our third one might be. And uh, we want to make sure we try to complete on time. And it came to pass in all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that Jehovah had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until they had passed over, that their heart melted, and there was no spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. At that time, Jehovah said to Joshua, Make these stone knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him stone knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of Araloth. And this is the cause why Joshua circumcised then. All the people who had come out of Egypt, the males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness on the way after they came out of Egypt, them had they not circumcised. 
For the children of Israel had walked 40 years in the wilderness till the whole nation of men of war had perished, who had come out of Egypt, who had not hearkened to the voice of Jehovah, to whom Jehovah had sworn he would not show them the land which Jehovah had sworn to their fathers, that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey, and their sons whom he, he raised up in their stead. Then Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them in the way. And it came to pass when the whole nation had finished being circumcised, that they abode in their place in the camp till they were whole. Uh, let's uh, stop there, and then we'll get in verse 9 in a moment, which goes with it. But here we have, uh, in fact, I don't even have to ask you what this letter C is for, do I? <laughs> you, you probably got it already, don't you? That Gilgal becomes a place of circumcision, doesn't it? That place where, again, uh, the flesh is cut off. And again, we see a great lesson for us, don't we? Isn't it important for us to come together and to remind that our flesh is cut away, that uh, uh, what God has done for us at Calvary, right? Uh, some great things. And uh, you might say, well, how is circumcision really related to us, Brother Ed? I mean, you know, that, we, don't, we, you know, we don't do that today, that circumcision thing. The Hebrews maybe still do it. And maybe some of us still have it done as part of a normal medical thing today. But really, uh, are we circumcised? Well, I think there's a verse that we could help us here, a couple of verses. And that would be in the book of Colossians. Now, we're not going to go off to a lot of other verses in the Bible tonight. But let's look at the book of Colossians, chapter 2, and see what Paul has to say in relation to this. And in chapter 2, uh, he speaks of this, and we'll look at Colossians chapter 2, and let's look at verse, oh, uh, starting in verse 9, concerning our Lord Jesus, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him who is the head of all principality and authority, in whom also ye have been, well, circumcised with the circumcision not done by hand in the putting off of the flesh and the circumcision of the Christ, buried with him in baptism and so on. We see, we get a picture, of course, in baptism, don't we? A circumcision of putting off of the flesh. And so we are, we, if you're a believer here, you have been circumcised, haven't you? The flesh has been put off. And we see how very important that is then. And so Gilgal, a lot is happening here. And so you see, it's going to be a place where they can come back and be nourished and fed and have that camp. And then, of course, it'll be a place they can commemorate what God has done for them. But thirdly, spiritually for us, it's a place of circumcision, a place where the flesh has been cut off. It reminds us, of course, Gilgal, in a sense, reminds us of Calvary, doesn't it? The, the idea that we can always come there, it seems, and, see a, and commemorate him and camp uh, there, and also to remember that uh, our burden was rolled away, wasn't it, at Calvary? And that's what, isn't that what verse 9 really mentions here? You see, it says, Jehovah said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, and the name of the place is called Gilgal, rolling away. That's why that name was given, wasn't it, uh, to this day. You see, they had gone this whole time, physically speaking for them, they had come out of Egypt, had gone through the wilderness now, of course, as young people, uh, tw uh, under 20 years of age, except for uh, Joshua and uh, Caleb, and uh, that, you know, that was about it. And so you see, they, they had come through, and the only ones circumcised were, uh, in this case right here, the one that's mentioned is Joshua, right? He was circumcised. And all the rest had died. 
Just him and Caleb were the only two that had not died. And, uh, and so him and Caleb had been circumcised, but Caleb's not mentioned right here at the moment. They will later on, uh, but we won't get to it. And so you see he's mentioned. And, uh, and so it's sort of sad to think about because now they came to the whole, God had given them circumcision. They'd come all the way through that wilderness experience and didn't bother with circumcision, did they? It just didn't happen. And now God says, well, Joshua, you know what? We've got to get this straightened out. And so, you know, if they're going to be a redeemed people, they're going to come and, as it were, come into the land and, and honor me and follow me. You know, they have to be circumcised. Is it possible some are physically circumcised but not believers? Well, perhaps it's possible, right? People can go through things, right, and not really believe. That happened in the wilderness, didn't it? So many came out of Egypt, but how many really believed? <laughs> it's a question to be thought about. And so we have three things so far, and we have four to go. We're on schedule so far, aren't we? And let's continue on then with our study. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 10. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and held the Passover. There's the camp again. And held Passover on the 14th day of the month at even. Remember they came over on the 10th, right? The 14th, of course, is when Passover was held. The presentation of the lambs on the 10th. Uh, and they had to wait three days. And then the 14th day they had the Passover. And they had even the plains of Jericho, and they ate of the corn of the land. So verse 10 then, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and held the Passover on the 14th day of the month. Just one verse for this one. And so we see here then we have another thing happening. This is the Passover happening at Gilgal. Uh, you might say it's like a commemoration. That's perhaps true. Here I'm using the letter C for the word communion, right? That's here now they're going to take some time to commune with God and be, and be reminded of what God had done for them through the Passover lamb. Now, as far as what's recorded in Scripture, how many Passovers up to this point, uh, which Passover is this? How many have occurred, do you think? Anyone want to hazard a guess? We know there's one in Exodus, of course, so he knows more than one. <laughs> and I think, if I remember correctly, this would be the third Passover, right? The second came, went Mount Sinai, right? And they get the law on the tabernacle, and they had to pass over there. And it seems like we have no recorded uh, use of the Passover beyond those first two until we get here. And we have this third one, which is at Gilgal. What a marvelous thought it is. That they would remember, of course, the Passover lamb uh, that would deal, or cover, we might say, uh, and remind them, right? Uh, that God uh, basically went past them that night, right? Went over them. The, the angel, of course, in, in, uh, in Egypt did not harm their firstborn, did, did it? And so you see that was uh, the issue of communion. They uh, were having a, a meal, of course, together, Passover meal in Egypt, and now they have another Passover meal. Remember what God has done. And interestingly, between those two, pa well, actually, between the first Passover and the third Passover, they ate uh, manna, didn't they, for the most part. Had, they did have a quail at one point. <laughs> didn't go so well then, did it? Uh, but you see, uh, they, they, they basically have been having manna. God has provided their food. But now when they get to inheritance, we're going to see there's a change. That Gilgal is going to provide a change in meal, it seems. Uh, a change in what they eat. And, uh, and so the heavenly bread will give way, we might say, to a bread from the inheritance, uh, a grain from the inheritance. It's called corn, of course. And we'll see that will be our fifth one, right, in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 5. Uh, 
We can read it there. And they ate of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened loaves and roasted corn on that same day. And the manna ceased on the morrow. When they eaten of the old corn of the land, there was no more manna for the children of Israel. They ate of the produce of the land of Canaan that year. And so now we see that on the 15th, or 16th, some suggest, it depends on how you read that, uh, that uh, they had the manna cease. They had the Passover, then they had unleavened bread, and then uh, with the corn and the land, and it ce- the manna ceased. And, uh, and so we see then here the letter C is corn, isn't it? The old corn of the land. So Gilgal does provide another kind of food, it seems. Now here when we see the word corn, we have to remember that back then, uh, we, we realized corn was used for a term, as an old English term, for grain, right? It could be any grain. It could be wheat or barley or whatever it might be, but it was called corn, right? You, guys, you might be thinking, of course, the piles of corn on the cob or something like this or, or, or uh, uh, niblets or whatever, but that's not really the idea, right? It's, a, it's grain of some kind. And, and so now, where did that grain come from? I mean, uh, they weren't there to grow it, were they? And God was no longer going to provide it from heaven, right? The, the manna from heaven. They had had that for 40 years. But now God was going to provide it from the inheritance, wasn't he? But who did all that planting and growing and harvesting? And some of it had been done by the people before, didn't they? That God used the very land. He owned it, right? And he took it away from the people that had it there and gave it to Israel. And now God was going to provide through another means. And that would be through the inheritance. Does not God provide for our needs? Doesn't provide it for our food and so on, both physical and spiritual, of course. And he provides us spiritual food. And uh, we'll never run dry. Well, we'll never run out of food. There's always spiritual food to be had in his word. And so God provides for us along our journey, doesn't he? We have a camp, a place we can come back to. It's a temporary place right now physically, of course, in this world. We have tents in this world. But we recognize that we have a place we can always come back to, spiritually speaking, to be with the Lord. And we can commemorate what he's done for us. And we can be reminded what Calvary did for us and how uh, our sins were rolled away and how the flesh was cut off. And we can remember uh, about the fact that we have a place to commune with God and have fellowship with him and with one another and enjoy the great uh, food we have, spiritual food available to us. Well, that's five things. And yet there's two more at least to go. And uh, I'm looking good so far. Now let's look at chapter 5 again, and we want to go to verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Art thou for us or for our enemies? And he said, No. <laughs> what, a, what an interesting answer, huh? No. <laughs> uh, that didn't quite answer the question perhaps, but maybe it did. Uh, and then he goes on to say, For the captain of the army of Jehovah might now come. Then Joshua fell upon his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of Jehovah's army said to Joshua, Loose thy sandal from off thy foot, for the place wherein thy standest, thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And so now we have this uh, next letter C. You know about what it is, don't you? That at Gilgal we also have our captain, right? That's what it says there, a captain. And so we have our captain, the, the one who's in charge. You know, and Joshua comes to the man and he thinks, you know, now you might get this, the impression that Joshua's in charge. And in some sense, 
of course, in an earthly sense, maybe is a little bit, uh, as a man, that God has given him the authority to help uh, the people across the Jordan and so on, and to lead them, we might say. And yet, uh, who's really in charge here? Well, it's the captain, and, and no doubt, perhaps, some would suggest, the theophany of our Lord, uh, although not all agree. Uh, but it seems like uh, uh, the captain of the host would be the Lord himself, perhaps. And he's there, and uh, Joshua comes to him and wonders, well, what's going on here, basically? And, uh, and basically, Joshua's going to learn that it's not going to be in his power he's going to win this victory, but in the captain's power, isn't it? Isn't that true for us, brethren? Hasn't the victory, in a sense, already been won for us at Calvary? He's won the victory, and he will, of course, in a, a victorious sense, uh, bring us to be with himself, won't he? he? He is able, is he not, to bring us all the way through the experience in the wilderness and bring us to the promised land, we might say, to bring us to our heavenly inheritance, and he is able. He is the captain. Gilgal will always be the reminder that he's the captain, he's in charge, and we might say he's the king, isn't he? He's the one we should be coming back to and not looking to men. And so we have that mentioned. Well, uh, that gives us six so far, and I do want to go on and look at one other fairly significant one that happens at Gilgal. And so I'm going to skip over a few chapters. You may find others, by the way, and certainly feel free to email me with additional ones you might find in your own studies. But we want to go on and look at chapter 9. And we'll go over to chapter 9 and see if you can figure out another letter C here. And we come over here, and uh, you see what happens here. It's very interesting. And we read there uh, that the kings, of course, uh, on the side of the Jordan, on this side of Jordan, there in verse 1, in the hill country, in the lowland, all along the coast of the Great Sea, as far as opposite Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, heard of it, that is, of what uh, God had done uh, with uh, Jericho and so on. AI and the like. And, uh, and so they decide they're going to fight Joshua, aren't they? Good luck. <laughs> and so they're going to get together and they're going to fight Joshua and, this, and the like. But before they actually get that opportunity, did we get this little parenthesis, we might say? And it starts in verse 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to AI, then they also acted with craft. Uh, they were deceptive. And they went and prepared as on a journey and took old sacks upon their asses and wine flasks old and rent and tied them up in old and patched sandals upon their feet, old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal. Hmm. Now, there's always a big discussion as to what really is happening. And brethren uh, for years, many years, uh, have disagreed on really uh, what the, the great lessons perhaps are here. And, uh, and the reason being, of course, is the Gibeonites are deceptive, aren't they? They deceive Joshua, they deceive him uh, by making like they're coming from a far country. And so when they do that, many brethren will suggest that uh, the Gibeonites are an evil people and that, uh, that, that this is, they're not really, uh, uh, really uh, all that much to be had. And that God is not going to, down the road, save them. 
And so there's some brethren that would, dis would agree that, or suggest that this is it. Now, I am not of that ilk, and so you can disagree with me if you do. That's fine. Uh, don't throw me out too hard. Uh, but I would suggest, perhaps, here that the Gibeonites get saved. Now, I know so there some brethren will be uh, no doubt talking to me after the message and say, well, brother, I don't, know, I don't know if I agree with you on that. But hear me out, and then you can decide uh, as you study the scriptures. But I get a sense, though they are deceptive, and I will agree, that you have to understand why do they do what they do? Uh, why dress up as coming from a far journey, a far nation? Why do that? How's that going to help? Ah, but it does help. You notice how they very specifically note this, that we're from a far country. They say it. It's very, very carefully uh, set up. And why so? Well, you know, if they had come into Gilgal and said, by the way, we're your local friends here nearby, uh, do you mind uh, saving us? Uh, well, the answer might be no. Uh, what did God say to do? Well, anybody locally, right, to be destroyed, right? But they knew something from Deuteronomy about God's word, didn't they? And uh, they knew something about, from God's word that, well, you know what, if we say we're from a far country, they're allowed to make covenants with people in a far country. Oh, interesting. How did they know God's word? How, how did they know that by addressing us from a far country and looking like they're from way, way off, that uh, they could have a covenant with the uh, children of Israel? They must have known his word somehow. I don't know how. But somehow they knew, didn't they? And so they go through the process of making it look like they're from a far country. Why? Because they knew that was the only way of getting what? Of getting saved. <laughs> now, brethren, uh, isn't that true for you as well? That uh, how many ways do we have to heaven and salvation? Well, one, really. <laughs> the Lord Jesus, right? By faith. And when you heard that was the only way, uh, you had a decision to make, didn't you? You either did it or you didn't. And I hope everyone here has made a decision tonight that each of you have put your trust in Christ. But you had to make a decision, didn't you? And so they had to make a decision on how they're going to go about getting saved. And they said, well, the only way we know is to go to do this, right? Get all dressed up as a far country and go to where? Gilgal. Because that's where, of course, we can get saved, can't it? For us, for spiritually speaking, right? well, we, see, we realize that you go to this place that reminds us of Calvary and all the things that we have together in Christ. And so they're going to go. And I would suggest that's what they do. They get all dressed up that way. And you see it says there, they went to Joshua there in verse 6. said to him, to the men of Israel, from a far country are we come. Now make a covenant with us. And the men of Israel said to, Hivite, uh, said to the Hivite, perhaps thou dwellest in the midst of us. Ah, see, they're even questioning it, right? Because they know they're not supposed to let those who are in the midst live. What if they had said, yes, we are from the midst? Well, I, I, we don't know. I wonder if God would have saved them anyways, because see, it seems like they believed what God had to say. I don't know what would have happened. Uh, but you see, one thing, of course, that's missing, everybody will say, of course, and it's true, is that Joshua does not go and ask the Lord, does he? They just make a decision on their own. I wonder what would have happened had he gone and asked God. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Interesting question. 
uh, uh, Joshua going to God, hey, uh, Lord, uh, I got a group of people here, and they're, they're saying they're from a far country, and uh, they want to they wanna, they wanna make a covenant with us. They, they, they want to join us. Well, what do you think, Lord? I wonder what they would have done. I, I'm not sure what God would have done. Perhaps he would have saved them anyway. Maybe he would have said, okay, you can allow them to live, perhaps. I don't know. Well, we, we aren't told. But you see, they were, on their own, based on what God had already told them, there's to destroy them. And you see then, they come and they get saved. And you might say, well, hey, wait, wait, how else, uh, what else do we have here? Well, you see, they, they talk all about what they've done. Joshua makes peace with them in verse 15. And then, of course, they find out, don't they? In verse 16, uh, they, had, uh, they found out, of course, that they were neighbors, and uh, they were a little upset about it. Uh, and then he, and, and look what happened. The Gibeonites become what? Servants of Israel. And they become those who hew wood and draw water for the assembly of Jehovah. <laughs> Forever. Whoa, interesting. It's a very important thing. And... Uh, it's interesting, of course, the Gibeonites, this is, and, and so what happens? Well, immediately following here, what happens? Well, you see uh, something occurs here, um, and you can see it in verse, so, uh, at verse uh, 22, that he speaks to them and, and tells them uh, things that aren't going to go so well. There'll be hewers of wood, drawers of water, I mentioned that. And then chapter 10, well, now what happens? Those kings come back into the story. They've heard the Gibeonites have made a deal with Israel. And who do they go after? The Gibeonites. And who do the Gibeonites go to for their help? Up to this point, they had no one to help them other than the other kings. But now the other kings are against them. And what happens? The Gibeonites go to, well, they go to Joshua Gilgal, don't they? And, uh, and they ask for help. And Joshua and God, through Joshua, provides help to save the Gibeonites. Isn't that interesting? That God does seem to care about these Gibeonites, at least after they make this covenant anyway. And when Saul, later on, slays some of the Gibeonites over there, uh, you can see that over in Samuel, right? Uh, and later on, uh, with Mephibosheth and so on, you see uh, uh, Saul uh, had slain uh, some of the Gibeonites. Ooh, that wasn't so good to do. And as a result, some of the sons of Saul were hung up to Jehovah, weren't they? Because of the slaying of the Gibeonites. And so there's some great lessons about the Gibeonites. And I, I, my suggestion to you, the letter C here, the seventh one, uh, is the letter C for conversion. That at Gilgal, we see conversion. Uh, uh, the important thing of coming to the Lord, coming to Jehovah, in this case for them, coming to Christ for us today. I wonder, though, what happens with Gilgal in the long run. What a great place to have all these things we've mentioned. A great reminder of the spiritual table we have, as it were, in the heavenlies, that we can come around, have a place to uh, be with the Lord, to commune with him, to come, the one who's the captain, uh, who's run the victory, who's uh, rolled away the flesh, and all the things he's done for us. Just marvelous remembrance we have uh, in Gilgal. But let's go to Judges in chapter 2. In Judges, now we're not going to go through every book in the Bible to see uh, where Gilgal is used, but we're going to go and just a few more things. At verse 1, 
what's going to happen here. And the angel of Jehovah came up, this is verse one of chapter two of Judges. And the angel of Jehovah came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and I have brought you to the land where I swore unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall not make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not hearkened unto my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be scourges in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, and the angel of Jehovah spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to Jehovah. Isn't that an interesting place to be? Bochim. Uh, where was the angel of Jehovah? Where, where was the captain? Where's the one in charge? Well, he's down in Gilgal. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The captain is in Gilgal. That's where the camp is, and that's where they're come back to, and the captain's still there. And where are they? Well, they've decided to go to a different place. Oh, I wonder why that is. Uh, how sad. What a, what a poor decision not to go back to the Lord for their help and to find out what's next in line and so on. They've gone off on their own, and they come to a place which means weepers, right? It's a plural, weepers, a place of weeping rather than a place of rolling away, a place which was marvelous to be at, to be reminded of what God had done, bringing them to the Jordan, what God had done in uh, bring, giving them an inheritance, all the great things. Oh, Gilgal's a marvelous place. And there was the captain. They owned him as the king, except that it seems like they had gone somewhere else. I wonder if we still own the Lord as king. Now, of course, we know he's not got an earthly reign at this time. We realize that he is still king of the universe, isn't he? He's still in charge. Men in this world, of course, he allows to have the various kingships and presidencies and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, well, he will reign someday in this world, won't he, in this earth? Our Lord will someday. But do we own him as such, as Lord and King? Do we at least own him that way? Or do we not find time to own him as such? And we're found in other places, perhaps, that we shouldn't be in. And so it's a sad commentary. But if we go over to 1 Samuel, we uh, get, a, get a further lesson about this in 1 Samuel and chapter, uh, let's say chapter 11 thereabouts. And in chapter 11, and we'll go over to verse 4, yeah, go to verse 12. And the people said to Samuel, who is he that shall, uh, shall, I'm sorry, who is he that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring that man that he may be put to death. But Saul said, there shall not a man be put to death this day, for today Jehovah's wrought deliverance in Israel. And Samuel said to the people, come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. Ah, oh, we, we will go back to uh, Gilgal, won't we? Isn't it great to say they're going to go back, but there's a slight change. And I hope we're careful in our own lives. But look at the change here. And so they want to renew the kingdom at Gilgal. And verse 15, and all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before Jehovah and Gilgal, and there they sacrificed peace offerings before Jehovah, and there saw all the people, uh, men of Israel rejoiced exceedingly. 
Uh, who was the king before? Who was the king of Gilgal before Saul? The Lord himself, right? But now he's been replaced. Saul's taking over because the people wanted a king like the nations, didn't they? And that's what they got, a king like the nations. It's very sad that they would actually replace God with earthly kings. I hope that we aren't doing that today. Replacing our Lord with other things or other people uh, that oh, despite all the authority they might have in this world, there's no one greater than our Lord Jesus Christ, is there? And so you see what happens there, but we go to chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. You know what's happened. Uh, and Samuel, of course, uh, is supposed to wait for Saul. Uh, I'm sorry, Saul is supposed to wait for Samuel to come. And, uh, and of course, he doesn't. And uh, he was supposed to, uh, he was supposed to you know, wipe out uh, the uh, Agag and the rest of the gang there. He was supposed to wipe them out, and he doesn't do it, of course. He's supposed to wipe out all the animals. He doesn't do that either. And you know what happens. And so we come, and, uh, and so Samuel has a few things to say to him. And uh, so verse 12, and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel. And uh, behold, he set him up a mountain monument and has turned about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and here they are at Gilgal now. And Saul said to him, Blessed art thou of Jehovah, and fulfilled the word of Jehovah. Oh, really? <laughs> you, know the, you, know, you know the story, right? I won't go into it. You know what happens. They, he hears the bleeding of the sheep and so on. And, and uh, Agag is still living. And he says, Oh, you have, have you? There's a problem. You're saying one thing, but the evidence suggests something else. And so we go over, and uh, you see uh, verse 20, And Saul said to Samuel, I have indeed hearkened to the voice of Jehovah, and gone the way which Jehovah sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalek. Right there, he's confessing sin right there, isn't he? What did God say to do him? to him? Destroy him. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the spoil, uh, the, she the sheep and the oxen, choices of the devoted things to have sacrificed Jehovah the, uh, thy God in Gilgal. Oh, oh, I see. We're, we're going to get back to sacrificing at Gilgal and have that sweet smelling savor going up to God and communion and so on, except that uh, that's not really why they took the animals. It doesn't seem, does it? They'd really done it for themselves, but it's a good excuse, isn't it? Well, it's for God. Oh, how careful we must be. And so Gilgal becomes a place of disobedience. There's a different king there, and it's a sad commentary. And so there's great lessons for us, brothers, as we close. And uh, we look at the Gilgal. You see, we've just scratched the surface. Perhaps there's much more we could look at. But I hope you'll think on these things. The Lord puts these there for us to think on. And there's a reason for the various pieces that are recorded. Was there more done at Gilgal? I'm sure there's a lot more done at Gilgal. But you notice only certain events are recorded regarding Gilgal that we might be able to follow what God has to say to us concerning it. That we might see this beautiful picture for ourselves. That we too have a spiritual Gilgal, we might say. A place that reminds us of Calvary. A place uh, we can come back to, a camp I mentioned, number one. And then a place of commemoration. A place where we remember what God has done for us. Circumcision where God has rolled away our reproach, taken our sin away, 
and uh, communion, a place of fellowship, a place of uh, the fact that we can feed and have uh, the old corn of the land. We might say the grain. Uh, God always has food for us, spiritual food. And he is our captain, our king, the one who's in charge. We own him as such, don't we? It's a place we can remember our conversion as well, thinking about Calvary, can't we? We came there at one point, at least I hope each one did. But now we have a great lesson that it's not just to remember our, our conversion there, but to remember we have all of this to think on when we think about Gilgal. May we be careful about setting up other spiritual kings, as it were, other idols that might take the place of God in our lives as we're on this journey. And God will help us, of course. It's a challenge. It's a struggle in this world. But he'll help us. And so I hope this is a help to you as you go forth from this place uh, tonight. And perhaps you'll be able to share some of the, some of the children. You know, Sunday, uh, vacation Bible school coming up and so on. Uh, it's amazing how children uh, love looking at these kind of things. I remember one time doing a, a camp. And I looked at the tabernacle of the children. I, I had a model of the tabernacle. And, I went around, and, and, and they were just amazed by it. And, uh, and so uh, let us remember to uh, share even these great things that are seen more, a little more complex, but can be marvelous truths even for those who are young, to see what, how God has set up his word and how he wants us to be those who follow him. And we'll go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you again for our time together. We appreciate these folks who have come out from their busy lives, and they've got a lot going on, uh, Father. But we thank you that they have an interest in thy word, and they desire, of course, to follow thee. Each one, uh, I believe here, has owned thy son as Lord and Savior. If there be one here tonight that knows not the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, that that might happen tonight. That that individual, he or she, might give his or her life to Christ before it's too late. But we thank you for the rest who know Christ, and we realize that the journey is difficult there's warfare, spiritual warfare. Uh, there's difficulties along the way and issues in family and financial issues and work issues and all the things that go on. And yet, Father, you give us courage and you've taken us out of death and you are, are the one we look to for our help in our time of need. We pray that you might help us. We thank you for the opportunity you give us around, as it were, that spiritual Gilgal to be able to come to you, to meet together, to be around thy word, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to feed, and, uh, and to be helped as, uh, in preparation to going forth back outside. We pray now as we go forth, we might be strengthened and ready for what you have ahead for us. And we give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.